this is another um, episode of Harlem Stories. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, condos versus co-ops. So I think one of the most important things to understand in New York City real estate is that you know, there are two main property types in, in New York City if you want to purchase. Um, there's condos, there's co-ops, and then everything else is a very tiny percentage. For instance, the townhouse market. Got it. You know, or multifamilies, which is a whole different specialty. But, you know, if you're looking at just pure residential component, it's mostly condos versus co-ops. What are condos? Condos are actually real property that you can purchase um, you do have a title and a deed associated with the condos, um, and, and it's just uh, an individual form of ownership within the property market of New York City. So it's, you know, in some ways, it's kind of like buying a condo in most other parts of the country. There are aspects here that are quite different than the rest of the country, and I think that's, you know, what we'll probably spend a good portion of today's conversation talking about and understanding just how different it may be. But in essence, you're still buying real property, and that is the same. So when you uh, talk about condos in the rest of the country, one of the things that I often hear, and you probably hear it as well, is people ask about HOAs, and or AK, also known as homeowners association fees. Do right. um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we don't actually have HOAs in New York City. We do have something that's a, very similar, but not quite the same. So because we are in a vertical housing environment and we're sharing, you know, a lot of the same systems in common from one apartment to another, we are actually using things like uh, heat in common, our water in common. So as a result, uh, you know, it, it's pretty common to have your your uh, your heat and hot water included in your monthly bills. And it's not just about paying the utility bills and maintaining the building structure like you would have with, you know, HOA fees. Um, but there's a lot more in common. So, for instance, like in HOA fees, you might not be you might as an individual owner be responsible for replacing your own roof. But in New York City, you know, it's everyone is replacing the common roof. So that's, you know, could be there. You know, a, a reserve fund, well, that could be the same thing in, you know, outside of the city. And while, you know, there's going to be individual elements that you're covering that are going to be different, uh, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's you know, covering for the, the exact same purpose. For kind of a, like a forced savings, uh, savings account. And, you know, uh, from that aspect, it, it, it is identical. So I think what we really should be focusing on is what's different in New York City. So HOA is, is not, you know, not really applicable here. We call it common charges. And the common charges, they include your, you know, uh, you're maintaining the building, hopefully a reserve account, which is a forced savings account. But it also includes typically your heat and the hot water as well. So what about um, things like electricity and cable? So electricity is going to be your individual owner responsibility and cable. Well, there are a few buildings that do include that as a standard. It's not a necessarily a common thing. So when we talk about uh, common charges, it's basically charges that people share in common. And I guess for the most part, um, how's it divided? Is it equally divided or is it de depending on the size of the of the unit? 
Ah, so, okay, th this is something that's really misunderstood. And, you know, when, when people look at common charges, they have to understand that property taxes are a separate issue. Uh, so number one, if you want to really figure out what the monthlies are in a building, uh, you're going to add your common charges plus your taxes, and that comes to your total monthly amount. Now, how are they derived? Uh, and that's that's really something that very few people understand. And it doesn't always 100% make logical sense, but for the most part, they usually do. Um, it, it's going to determine on things like which exposure do you have? So, for instance, if you have a southern exposure, it's going to be a lot sunnier and brighter of an apartment uh, than it is if you've got a northern exposure, which might get light all throughout the day, but it's never going to be this direct sunlight. Uh, you know, so things like uh, the exposure, uh, higher floor, you know, in, in a building, especially if it impacts the view, that will impact, you know, the, the amount of your common charges. And, and actually, it goes back to what's known in the offering plan as the Schedule A. And Schedule A basically tells you what percentage ownership that your apartment has or the one that you might be considering purchasing versus any other apartment in the building. And that that percentage breaks down. So if you're in a 100-unit building and, and every unit you know has certain offsets and they're considered more or less equal, even though there might be various things, every apartment in the building would have a 1% allocation. But you know, what if you're talking a studio apartment versus a two-bedroom, two-bath? You're going to expect the two bad two bath to have a much higher percentage allocation, and therefore you're going to have a much higher percentage, uh, a higher dollar, you know, uh, bill when it comes to the monthly common charges because you have a much larger apartment. So, in other words, what you're saying is that your common charges will vary, I guess, depending upon the the value or the size of your apartment. The bigger the apartment, the more valuable because of views and location, the higher your percentage of common charges? It's not always works down that pretty, but as a generalization, yeah, we could say that uh, as a whole. But you're going to find that there are going to be reasons for, you know, for that to not hold true. And, and it could still be logical. So, for instance, what if you have a second floor unit that has a giant uh, terrace uh, and, and, you know, it's two bedroom, two bath, and it's kind of an open view, but it's not that great of a view versus something that's on the 15th floor that's got great open views, uh, you know, 360 degrees. And you have, you know, four exposures versus the, the two bed, two bath on the second floor. You know, so, you know, depending on, you know, you know, the building and, and how the developer might have originally determined it, uh, that percentage ratio and thus the common charges, you know, they might not necessarily be equal. So, you know, every building is going to be different in how they configure it, you know, and all the different variables that you take into account. But, uh, but you know, if, I, I think if we were to kind of list it out, it, you say the exposure, the floor number, the amount of light that the apartment gets, the size uh, of the unit, the square footage of the unit, uh, whether it's got indoor, uh, outdoor space, I should say. Um, these are the kinds of things that are generally taken into consideration in terms of the allocation, and therefore it flows into the common charge bill. Okay. So now um, that's one component of your monthly carrying costs on the, on the condo. What about the other? What about taxes? 
So taxes are generally that's set by the city. And I can tell you, you know, firsthand, I've got clients that ask me about this all the time. The tax structure in New York City for property taxes, it doesn't always make sense. It, 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 you know, I, we know as a generalization that it's set versus uh, uh, the rents of nearby properties, but even then, it doesn't still always make sense. You know, uh, ask us why we we don't know. We do know that New York City identifies that it doesn't always make sense, and as a result, uh, they were actually talking about property tax reform right before COVID hit. And as a result, uh, it's kind of been pushed to the wayside. So just out of curiosity, now you had mentioned um, for common charges and the allocation is determined by the Schedule A in the offering plan. Mm -hmm. Is it the same case with uh, taxes or does that get reevaluated at all? So the Schedule A basically determines your percentage of ownership and therefore, you know, when the city evaluates, it's all going to be proportional to what's in that Schedule A. So even if the the building ones are getting reevaluated for, you know, for what the property taxes should be on the building, you're always going to have that same percentage uh, of ownership in the building. Now, are there things that could potentially change it? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, for instance, what if you combine your apartment with another apartment? So obviously, you're going to have that combined uh, that combined number. Um, so there are going to be a few things that you know that might occasionally impact you know those allocations, but for the most part, they're pretty stable. One thing that we didn't uh, discuss on the property taxes, um, and it and it's kind of a disappearing element in much of the city, but in you know in Harlem and Upper Manhattan, uh, and and parts of Brooklyn, I think you're going to still find that there's a, quite a number of properties where this still applies. Is the property tax abatements uh, most specifically is usually either the 421A or the J51. I don't want to get too deep into that because that'll be like a whole separate conversation. Uh, but like the the 421A was for new construction, whereas the J51 was an existing building that the building has, uh, uh, you know, needed, uh, I guess, some sort of incentive to kind of, uh, you know, help renovate the building, an existing structure. The 421A uh, tended to come into, you know, multiple variables. I've seen 7, 10, 15 uh, and mostly 25-year abatements. Um, so, you know, the way it winds up working, and, and we I don't want to get too heavily into the mechanics of uh, during this conversation is, you know, basically for the, you know, the last five years of that abatement period, it starts slowly phasing in proportionally uh, to the full amount of what the property taxes would be if they didn't have the abatement. And these abatements were offered in neighborhoods typically that that needed some assistance, but in some cases that became controversial, which ultimately was the reason why these are no longer offered for the most part going forward. So let me just ask a question. When we talk about abatement, it's, it's, that's kind of a fancy word for lower taxes? Yes, it's uh, much lower taxes. In fact, my own apartment, uh, for the first 20 years of the building uh, life, my property taxes are less than $4 a month. Wow, that's great. 
So we just jumped right into kind of the key elements, which I guess most people, when they're thinking about, hey, I thought we were just going to talk about, you know, uh, owning an apartment in, in Manhattan. And these guys have gone in and talked about condos and jumped right into common charges and taxes. But I guess what we're trying to make sure our listeners understand is that when you purchase something, it's not just a mortgage that you're paying. You're paying the mortgage plus um, the carrying charges or the housing costs is what I like to call it, because um you know, you can't get away from the fact that you have to pay common charges, which is what uh, the expense that you share with the, the other owners of your building. And you can't get away from having to pay taxes because that basically goes to the to the city, right? And, and the state as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, and I think for the most part, well, the, the property taxes are just for the city. But, uh, but it, ultimately, you know, here is one of the key things that, you know, that we as agents, you know, really bring to the table. Uh, a lot of times people are so focused when they're they're looking to purchase, they're so focused on the purchase price that they forget to account for the difference in the monthlies, the, the total monthly carrying charges. And I've had clients come back to me and say, you know, my max budget is X dollars. And the reality is I'm like, well, you know, what if I found you something that had that was a little higher on the purchase price than what you can afford, but ultimately the monthlies are so much lower that when you look at the true cost of total ownership, it actually winds up being cheaper than an apartment that might be, let's say, $100,000 more. Um, so your total cost of ownership is something that we as agents are always you know, trying to focus and, and trying to re realign the conversation at times as to what people feel they, they can afford. Uh, because sometimes not everything is going to be equal. And, you know, we'll have a whole separate conversation on, you know, on, on building charges and, you know, and taxes and things like that, where, you know, where we can kind of help bring a little clarity into, like, you know, how we can add value to, you know, to a, a buyer situation. Okay, well, that that's great. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to, to absorb. Let's just take a quick break and then we'll be back.